We're at uh, just about a halfway point in our sermon series, Rediscovering Church. And uh, this is as good a time as any to do recap. <laughs> Some of y'all don't like recap, but I'm going to give a recap because this topic of what a church is and rediscovering is so foreign to us that it's almost like hearing something that just doesn't sound right. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? This is how it seemed like for some of you when we've been talking about this thing called the church. What, what, why does God create this thing called the church? What is it? Why has God created, redeem it, save it? And what's its purpose? We've been saying that the, the, the Bible only makes sense when you look at it through the lens of what God intended when he created the world. What he intended when he created the world is that world will be a place of shalom. With, would be a place of wholeness, harmony, peace f- for everything in every way, spiritually, physically, relationally. That God created the world that we would relate to God rightly. We would relate to one another rightly. We would relate to the created order rightly. God comes to his prized creation that's you and me, human beings, and he says, as long as we relate in a proper way, that is, I will be your loving, perfect king, and you will worship and serve and love me as your perfect ruling sovereign king and i'm going to give you this responsibility to rule all of creation and as long as we have this dynamic that you worship serve me as your king as your lord i give you all of this this incredible blessing of being able to care for the entire creation well what is sin sin is when man decides i don't like this dynamic i don't like you being king ruler. I don't like that. So I'm going to be king. I'm going to be Lord. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so man decides to come out from under the rule and reign of God, our perfect king. And man decides to be king over his own kingdom. And when that happens, it's not just our relationship with God that gets messed up. The entire creation begins to unravel. What does God do? God had a choice. He said, I'm going to Wipe this whole thing off and start all over. God could have said, I'm going to wipe. I, I, I don't like what I see. I don't like what's happened to my creation. I'm going to start all over. Wipe the whole thing off and start all over. And instead he shows up to a dude named Abraham and he says, hey, Abraham, I've got a plan. Someday I'm going to roll in the kingdom. And what I'm going to do when I roll in the kingdom is all of this that went awry, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to restore it. I'm going to renew it. I'm going to heal everything. I'm going to heal everything. And then God begins his plan to heal and restore everything. God says to Abraham, someday a day will come when I'm going to restore renew everything and a new heaven and a new earth will come where you will relate perfectly to me. The fractured, divided human race will relate in the way that I intended and all of creation will be fixed. And then hundreds of years later, a dude named Jesus shows up. Now what does he say? He says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. What does Jesus say? Jesus comes and says, the kingdom that God promised to Abraham that he was going to roll into fix and renew all things. Guess what? I am here to inaugurate this deal. And what does Jesus do? Jesus begins to, check this out, show signs of this kingdom, this restoration, renewal that is to come. He forgives people's sins as if to say, you can be rightly connected to God again. He begins to heal the blind, heal the lame. He raises the dead for crying out loud. And he begins to show and display to everybody that what God intended when he rose in the kingdom, 
Jesus is saying, I am the new king that is going to heal and restore everything. And he begins to show it and display it. And then after dying on the cross and rises, and rises again, Jesus ascends into heaven. Now what? Now, the Bible says, in Ephesians chapter 1, this is unbelievable, Ephesians chapter 1, look at what Paul says. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile, that is to Jesus himself, all things on earth or in heaven by making peace through the blood of his cross. His intent, God's intent, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is the message of the cross and the resurrection? What is Jesus' message? Jesus' message is this. The church is to be the thing. The church is to be the embodiment. The church is this entity that I'm creating that will now, this is unbelievable, now be assigned to the world that the kingdom of God has arrived and God is in the process of healing all things. The church. And Paul makes this argument, we've been talking about Ephesians 2. How did the world see that? The church as a gathered people of God, when the watching world says, how is it the people who are alienated out there, who are enemies out there, who are hostile to one another out there, are together as one? How is that? And what Paul says is, when the world sees that, the world begins to see that God has indeed begun to put the world back together again. Is it amazing to anybody? Do, this is the reason why, this is the reason why, this is the reason why what you do, what I do, what we do matters for crying out loud. It's not just about attending a worship service. It's about witnessing to the rest of the world that God, through Jesus, will heal and restore everything out there. How do you know? Look at the church. That's huge. Is that big? That's huge. Because the people out there, they're saying there is no God. Why? Look at the mess. Look at the mess. Look at the mess. Suffering and just look at the mess. How can I? What's our witness testimony? Look at the church. Because if God can do that there, surely God is at work. Healing and restoring all things. Oh, you guys. This is, this is, this is so foreign to some of us because, like I said, our approach to church is so me, what can I get out of it? And yet God says, number one, there's no me, I in Christianity. It's we and the church's corporate entity that I created not only to begin the healing process of the world but to display to all the unbelieving watching world that when I died and rose again, the unraveling that began with sin I'm beginning to put back together again. What does this mean? I'm going to be very blunt with you guys this morning because this is recap. So this is what we've been talking about. Here are the, Nate, do we have those? Practically, what does it mean? I think I put it up there. We've been asking you to regularly come on Sundays in order to worship God, hear the gospel, and be reminded of your corporate identity as people of God. Let me just ask you guys a question. How many of you guys have been transformed by the gospel that's preached at New Community? Clap. Clap if this is you. Do you, need to, do you and I need to hear it every day, all day? 
Yes. Why? Because we forget. And our natural tendency is to do what? Forget the gospel. I'm going to be a religious person works righteousness. Secondly, how many of you guys need to be regularly reminded that Christianity is not isolated me, I? When you're here, it's one of the few times you go, oh yeah, it's not just about me and God. This is a visible reminder of your identity. This is the reason why people who are struggling spiritually want to be isolated, and the more isolated they are, the further they're removed from God's intention for them, which is the reason why we struggle more. Secondly, what does it mean? Join a community group where you can do life with a small group of people where you can be get to know, you can get to know people and be known. Listen, you can't be friends with 500 people. This isn't Facebook. You can't like 500 people. It's humanly impossible, yes? You can't be friends with Facebook. You can't be friends with Facebook. You can't be friends with 500 people. So it's ridiculous to me when somebody comes and says, it's too big, I can't get to know people. As if you can get to know all 500 people. Majority of us, our relational capacity is maybe 5 to 10 people. 5 to 10 people. If we get to really know 5 to 10 people and have 5 to 10 people know us, that relationally is fulfilling. The only way to do that is to get yourself in a group of people where you can get to know and be known. This isn't Facebook. Third. Join a ministry and serve so that the whole church can be built up and strengthened in order to further advance God's purposes on earth. Fourth, commit to giving regularly, generously, systematically, most of all, joyfully to the ministry so that we can further advance God's purposes. I need to apologize for something. Can I apologize for something? I'm sorry that your pastor has not challenged you more to be more generous in your giving. You know why I apologize? Because I'm a coward, that's why. Because I get up here every Sunday, and I preach the gospel, I go, live it! Live in accordance to it! Ah, I, I. But when it comes to this reality that if you've encountered the cross, the generosity of Jesus, you will be generous, I just go, hmm. I'm sorry that I have not challenged you more. Because it's a part of discipleship and following Jesus. And because of my cowardice and lack of courage, some of you guys are not living as disciples of Jesus. Some of you guys are enslaved to greed. I'm sorry that I have not challenged you more. I'm gonna. I'm not going to be a coward anymore. Do you know why? Do you know why? This is, listen, if you don't believe in the mission of this church, keep your money. We don't want your money. But if you believe in the mission of this church and you want to see the mission of this church advance, give of your resources. Amen? Lastly, commit to becoming a member and not just a spectator or an attender so that we can together fulfill the mission God has for us. You're going to continue to hear more about that in the upcoming days and weeks. Pastor Angela, please come on up. I want to pray for our sister, Pastor Angela. For the next two weeks, we're going to spend time in 1 Corinthians 12. Pastor Angela is going to preach to us this morning about the nature of spiritual gifts in verses 1 through 11. And I'm going to come back next week and preach from verses 12 to 28, where Paul talks about us being the body of Christ. Pray together with me. Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning. God, we pray and ask that your Holy Spirit dwells inside your daughter and our sister, Pastor Angela, 
would empower her this morning. Give her the words, God, that you have given her to speak, that she would proclaim it with boldness and yet with love. We pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts this morning and continue to form us and transform us to be the church that you have called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. All right. We're going to jump right in, amen, to continue where Pastor Peter has brought us this far as he's been preaching an awesome series on rediscovering the church. Anybody felt challenged over these last few weeks? Oh, I know, I know. It's been unnerving just to hear the messages that he has ministered. He has challenged us in our faith. He challenged us in how we live out the gospel message. It has challenged us to the degree that it has shaken some of us to the core. He asked us this question when he first began this series. He asked the question, do you believe in the church? That's probably a question that most of us have never asked ourselves. We often ask ourselves, do we believe in Christ? Of course. Do we believe in God? Of course. Do we believe in the whole? Of course. But who has ever asked you, do you believe in the church of Jesus Christ? Because for some of us, we could take it or leave it. But he challenged us with that question, do you believe in the church? Now, I know a lot of us were kind of uneasy in our seats. He made us move and sit by people we don't know. We didn't come to church for that. You know, he pushed us out of a comfort zone. And we wonder, you know, who is he? And how dare he push us that way? Well, you know, the Bible says to us, when it spoke to us in 2 Timothy 3 and 16, it gave this awesome scripture, and it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, I know we don't like that. The Message Bible says, Every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another. Showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, and training us to live God's way. So for that reason, we cover Pastor Peter. Amen? Because for some of us, it was a correction, and it was a reproof, and it challenged us. Amen? And so we don't often understand that sometimes the message of God comes not just to inspire you and to make you feel better, but to change you. To change the way you think, to change the way you approach the message of Jesus Christ. So he has challenged us. And so I stand up here today to challenge you again. And my question for you today is, what are you going to do now? Since you've heard it, since you are here, where do you go from here? Do we thank Pastor Peter for such a masterfully articulated word that was full of zeal and passion? Do we commit ourselves to praying for those people that were not here, that we know that they needed to be here, and next time he preaches that we're going to make sure that they're here? Do we, do we take offense and wonder what nerve did he, does he have to talk to us the way that he did? 
do we do we do we question now the fact that this seems impossible for us to do because some of us struggle with liking our own families let alone now you have brought us into a spiritual family and you're telling us we have to love one another that way mm. <laughs> oh not liking this message Or do we draw inwardly to ourselves out of fear because we think that we can't do it? So I ask you today to take courage and to take the challenge and to ask this this courageous question. So now, Peter, what do I do now? Would you dare to ask that question? What do I do from here, from this point, now that I've heard this message and now that I have been challenged in my faith? What am I to do now? Now, in the Ebonics language, we would ask you the question, you scared? And those that know that language, they will reply back. Those who know that, what would you say? I ain't scared. (laughs) That's what we would say. So we come today to tell Pastor Peter and to express our faith in God and our trust in him. We come today to say, I'm not scared. I'm willing to take the challenge. And I am willing to ask that crazy, courageous, bold question. What do I do now? Anybody with me? So our challenge as a church and as a people is that we seek ways to be an active part of the church of Jesus Christ. That we declare and share that we want to be a healthy, healthy missional church of Jesus Christ. We want to be a church where people are able to come in and see the life of Jesus Christ being lived out in the believer. Not just hear about it, not just read about it, but see it being lived out among the believers. We want to be a church that we see the life of Christ as it is flowing through us. We want to be believers that are touched by the message and believers that are touching one another with what we have been given. I don't want to take and obtain all that God has given to me and keep it to myself. It was not meant to be hidden nor disguised. It was meant to be given. So we want to be the church that shows evidence that Christ is here (laughs) and that he is alive and well. We say in the church, we don't want to be a dead church. How can you avoid being a dead church? Let Jesus live through you. So we're going to talk a bit today just about spiritual gifts 
what do I do now? One of the things that you are able to do is to exercise your gifts. So our scripture text, if you have your Bible, read with me in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. And it says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these work it that one and the self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally and as he wills. The writer is talking to the church of Corinth who has evidence that the gifts are operating in the church. So when we talk about spiritual gifts, most of us don't necessarily inquire about our gifts. We are comfortable coming to church and enjoying a good message and awesome worship, saying hello and greeting everyone and going out to lunch and dinner and still coming back next Sunday and doing the same thing. So now I want to ask you that question. Do you know that you have a gift? Do you know that God has given you a gift? My first point today is that God is the giver of all good gifts. And the Holy Spirit is the power source needed by man to operate in them. God is the giver. It wasn't your mother. It's not your neighbor. It's not even Pastor Peter. But God is the giver of all good gifts. And the Holy Spirit is the power source that is being used to cause us to labor in our gifts. Now, to understand what gifts are, now the Greek word is charisma. Now, I know most of us think charisma is the thing that, you know, if you got a style, if you got, you know, a little bit of what they call swagger, if you have a little bit of, you know, those types of things, outgoing personality, and you get up and you speak before people and you speak well and you speak articulately, then we say you have charisma. And most of us think we don't have charisma, so, you know, I'm 
good to stay in my corner by myself and not allow people to see anything. But that is not what this word means. It has come from the root word charis, which means grace. It is the favor done without expectation of return. It is absolute freeness of the loving kindness of God to man, finding its only motive in the bounty and free heartedness of the giver. Grace. Have not we all received grace? Oh. Grace. Now, the, uh, the, the end part of that word is ma. Charisma. Ma means the result of grace. So what, what the Bible is stating when it speaks about gifts is that the gifts that have been given to you by the giver comes only from grace. And what we see operating now is the result of God's grace. That the spiritual gifts are not given to us just because we deserve it. But God, in his own, see, I love how God works. God is the man, he can ask the question and answer it himself. I love it. He can demand a thing and then give you the resources himself. Who does that? What banker would say, sure, take this mortgage for $280,000 and then I'm going to put $280,000 in your bank account? Who does that? Only God does that. He say, I am in need of your service. And I need these gifts to operate. So I am demanding and commanding for you to operate in these gifts. And I am going to give them to you freely. And on top of that, I am going to empower you by the Holy Spirit. What do you have to do? Say yes. Yes, Lord, I will. Yes, Lord, I'll obey. Yes, Lord, I'll trust you. Now, that doesn't sound that difficult. Am I right? That's what he said. So now this result of grace is now the evidence that is seen in the church that Christ has paid the price. And that we have been empowered by his spirit. So how do we know that grace is operating among us? That the gifts are in operation. That the gifts are evident. And they are seen. We know it because we experience it. We are recipients of it. And we are givers of it. Philippians 2 and 13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God chooses the gifts according to his own will, his own purpose, and his own wisdom. It is him that chooses the gifts. So we can't even pick. And I know some of us would want to pick because some of those gifts I don't really want.
could pick, I would pick one that I thought, you know, fit me, that I thought that I could work with. But thank God he doesn't allow me to pick. (laughs) He chooses it according to his wisdom and according to how he has shaped you, molded you, and according to the faith that he has imparted to you. Every believer has at least one gift. I know you said, "Mm, probably not me. But every believer has at least one gift, and these gifts are diverse. The ushers are going to hand out to you this packet that uh, our administration has printed for you that tells you definitions and gives you descriptions about what the spiritual gifts are. So the ushers will have those for you in the back. They're going to be downstairs at the connection table. We printed a few hoping that you will require that we have to print more. We are going to, we scheduled a workshop to help those that will read it and be totally thrown off and want to come and hear more and ask questions. The workshop is going to be on March 24th at the church office. It's going to start from 12, 12 o'clock to 2. So sign up for that to come out and ask more questions and get more information about your gifts. So now the gifts now that's given to every believer. Now on this handout, they're going to give you a list. And, and, and in this list now it's about 30 gifts. And just to look at those gifts can seem intimidating. And we're picking out and trying to figure out which one fits us. And some of those gifts now, like the gift of celibacy. Now those are the unpopular ones. Did you know that that was a gift? I know, I know. So for those of you all who have been waiting, maybe this is your gift. You're saying, God, when and where and where is he going to come from? Where is she going to come from? Maybe this is your gift. No, I'm just kidding. Because if you're asking that question, that is not your gift. (laughs) Amen. That is not your gift. (laughs) Celibacy is a gift. Giving is a gift. Martyrdom is a gift. To suffer persecution and be willing to die. And I'm not talking about the spiritual death that we all, you know, are trying to achieve. I'm talking about a literal death. It's a gift. So come out and listen and ask questions and be a part of our workshop on the 24th. Gifts are diverse, but they are fit. Gifts are diverse, but they are fit. Gifts are not fruit. Gifts are not fruit. Fruit speaks to your development in the fruit of the divine image of God living on the inside of you. That speaks to your character. That speaks to the person that you become through Christ. Get fruits are about you. Gifts are not about you. Uh, 
gifts are not talents. Now, many of us have talents and some of us want talents. Like we hear this wonderful worship team and they get up and they sing and we're like, man, I wish I could sing. And some of us think that we can sing like that. And so we try, we go to singing lessons, voice lessons, and sometimes we, you know, we take lessons to learn instruments, those types of talents that you can develop on your own. You can pick and choose those. Some of them are inherited. But gifts are not talents because talents is something that you can take a class on and grow in and do better and see that develop. Gifts are supernaturally imparted and empowered. Your mother can't give you gifts. The next singer can't give you gifts. So talent, some of us have great talent, singing, cooking, working on computers and those types of things. Now God, here's the wonderful thing, because God now is one that any good thing, God himself, has given to you. So the good things with your talents, your talents, God doesn't want you to turn them away and not even use those in the church because you can give those to him. And you can serve him with your talents. But your gifts have supernatural power to do what natural things cannot do. It speaks to the very depths, to the very core of man's soul and spirit and reaches places that is not able to be seen with the natural eye. That's why you can't do it on your own. That's why you cannot be the power source of spiritual gifts. It has to be by the divine nature of the Holy Spirit so that it is kept pure and so that it is kept in right standing with God. Because we see sometimes counterfeit gifts because it is not empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul was talking about and writing about. He was saying now that you all are operating now to see the counterfeit things. He said no man that is operating by the Holy Spirit will be able to declare that Jesus is accursed. If Jesus is not your message, if Jesus is not your purpose, and if you're operating in gifts without giving a testimony of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, it is counterfeit. But God is saying there is power in each of us given to us by him and working in us by the Holy Spirit. And those gifts will testify of the life and the work of Jesus Christ. Everyone has a gift. Everyone has a gift. Gifts are supernatural. They're not for show. They're not for boast. They're not for self-gratification or exaltation. Gifts now are given to us to profit the church, to profit the believer, and to promote the gospel. Gifts are given to you for your neighbor. You, here's the funny thing. You can't even bless yourself with your own gift. You know how I know that? Listen, because many of us 
can encourage and we may even prophesy and operate in miracles to help somebody else. But then when you are in need, you can't do nothing for yourself. Anybody experience that? That you're like, somebody's looking at you like, how could you be so encouraging to somebody else? And how could God use you so greatly for somebody else? But now that you're in need, you're sitting there scratching your head, crying and weeping and moaning and saying, what am I going to do? Help me. Yes, because you are not meant to eat from your own gift. You are meant to give that to somebody else. And thereby, if I am giving mine to you and you are giving yours to me, then ultimately we all are fulfilled by God's grace. I love how he structured the church. He made sure that you would not be able to stand alone. As powerful as he is, he made sure Christ was the only one that was able to handle all of them. But he made sure he diversified the gifts so that I would need you and you would need me. They're meant to be operating within the body of believers. 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 says, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Gifts are meant to operate in harmony. They're meant to operate in harmony, though they are diverse. God is able to cause them to operate together so that it makes a beautiful melody. It creates a beautiful picture, a tapestry. God, just as Pastor Peter was stating, that God now is an artistic, creative God. And when he put the world together in his creation, he made it so beautiful. And that he is still working. So when he gives the gifts, he meant it to be beauty in the church and to be harmony in the church. So this is why the writer was saying here that if we are not operating in love, that's when the sound of what we hear coming and happening in the church is empty. It is noise. But when love Charity is operating among us. This is why we are called to family relationship. Loving one another. Because with that sound, with the love that operates, we hear the sound of harmony. And we know that God is working among us. Gifts are meant to be used by us as a steward of God's grace. You are a steward of his grace. What does that mean? You have a responsibility. He has given and imparted his grace to each of us. And we have a responsibility to steward over what God has given to each of us. 
1 Peter 4 and 10 says, As every man had received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We have a responsibility not to sit down on what God has given to us. We have a responsibility not to hide what God has given to us. We have a responsibility not to fear what God has given to us, but to be one that says, you have entrusted me with your manifold grace. You have entrusted me. So when he imparted his gifts to you, it is because he knew who you were. He knew what you could do with it. He knew what he could do through you. He knows far better than we do, even about ourselves. He said he has given to us gifts according to the measure of faith. So he gave you the faith and he gave you the gifts. Nothing is impossible for him. So the gifts that he has given to us, we are expected to give an account. Are you utilizing what he gave you or are you still asking for more? Are you utilizing what he gave you or are you denying what he has done in you? Are you utilizing what he gave you or are you just lackadaisical with what he has given to you? He says, no, when I invest, I expect a return. Oh, that's what he said. When I invest, and he has invested in each of us, he said, I expect a return. I expect on the day of my coming, you will be able to say, Father, this is what I did with what you gave me. He's expecting us to utilize what we've been given. 1 Timothy 4 and 14 says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Neglect not your gift. Neglect not your gifts. 2 Timothy 1 and 6 says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of hands. Stir up your gift. So you say, how do I stir up my gift? How do I operate and exercise the gifts that has been given to me? Work. Serve. Get involved. Many people go through years, and I do mean years, asking God the same question. What is my purpose? What am I here for? What do you want me to do? We can feel the Holy Spirit pushing us 
speaking to us, saying to us, give back to me what I gave to you. We can see him saying, you are somebody. You have something to give purpose in the world, in this church. And we go years saying, well, I don't know what to do. Why? Because we're waiting to find, to have this self-discovery, you know, or to read enough books that, you know, tells us and informs us of what our gifts are. And as soon as we figure it out, then we'll get to work. And the problem is you never figure it out because you're not working. It's the truth. Serving God meant for you to serve right at the capacity of faith that is operating in you at that moment. You don't wait until you figured it out and got it all together and you got the great understanding and you put the PowerPoint together and now you're ready. But when you start serving the church and serving God, you will find out by your laboring what gifts you have to operate in. Because gifts are meant to be stirred. They're meant to be uh, uh, stirred up in us. They're meant to be exercised. And most of us sit down on the gifts. And so when they're not being stirred up, we don't see reflections of it. And we don't see manifestations of it. So we never know. But when we get up and just start moving, you discover things about God and God in you that you would never, never, never believe. Start somewhere. Do something. And when you do that with all of your heart, God will begin to unfold and unravel, and you will see yourself giving and serving and being utterly awed. By what God has placed in you. We have to begin by getting involved. Begin by showing up. Now, and I know, you know, many of us, you know, just like growing up as a kid, you didn't know, like I, my kids play basketball, I was totally shocked. Now, that was not one they inherited from their mother. But you know what? I watched my children as they were growing up, and I'm looking at them when they would get out on the basketball court. They started out, and they were a little bit shaky, but I began to look, and it was beginning to unfold. And I'm like, you know, they might be pretty good. Shocked. But I wouldn't have never known that if I waited until they turned 16 to say, now, okay, you need to get out on the basketball court, or you need to go. and do. Never would have known it. But you have to start where you are. So how do I discover it? Serve on the usher board. Stand at the connection table. You might find out that you have a gift of gab. <laughs> you may find out that you have a gift of exhortation and in your words to people that you can encourage people. 
Somebody may have told you a long time ago that you're a nice person, but you didn't know that God had a plan for your niceness. And he meant to impart super things on your natural ability. And he took that thing and made it now this beautiful gift. And when you open your mouth, standing there in hospitality mode, somebody's life might be changed just because you smiled at them. Just because you embraced them that morning. Just because you looked at them eye to eye and said, I am so glad to see you. But you wouldn't know that if you're not involved. Find something to do. And I know, you know, they say those preachers, you know, they always got an angle. (laughs) But it's the truth. Get involved. Serve with the children. Join the prayer ministry. You may never know God has gifted you with a gift of miracles. And when you pray, The power of the Holy Spirit begins to move and you pray for someone's healing. And they come back with the report that God has healed them. And all you did was join the prayer ministry. But you discovered that God had greater plans for you. Every one of you has a gift. And it is meant to be given away. Say, give it away. It's meant to be given away. Don't hold it and hoard it to yourself. But say, God, I give it to you. Whatever you choose to do, I am willing to follow. With all of those beautiful gifts that we saw listed, What a powerful church. What a powerful church. If all of those gifts could be operating in new communities, all of our needs could be met through the divine manifestation and results of God's grace. Will you help me to grow in God, to live for him, to remain encouraged, to be fulfilled? Will you share your gift with me? When I am in need of a word, will you exhort me? When I am sick in my body, Will you help to heal me? You have it in you, and I need it. Are you willing to give it? Why? Because you need it too. You need it. We need it, and God has given it to us. Let us live it out for him.
let us make known the testimony of Jesus Christ. That he lives. That's our testimony. He lives. How do I know? I see him. I experience him. I looked at him through your eyes. And I received his grace that he poured out through you. He is alive. He is alive. And he is alive in this church. So again, will you take courage with me and say, what am I going to do now? I'm going to get active. I'm going to show willfully that Christ lives right here in me. If you know that is you, I just want you to just close your eyes in prayer. And if you have not committed yourself to giving back to him what he gave to you. If you have not taken seriously that greater is in me. And I want greater to live through me. If you are willing to make a commitment to God to say, I'll let you use me. I'll submit to your will. And I will begin to stir up and exercise what you gave to me. Take a minute and make that commitment to him. And then just say to him, do it through me. Holy Spirit, do it through me.